Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another rendition of your favorite podcast, Clubhouse Talk. Joe, I, uh, I, I, f- I fear that you might be a little sad today. How, how you holding up? I am. I'm holding up all right. It was kind of a foreseen ending to the national title game, but the Buckeyes will be back as always. But uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that uh, that wasn't very pretty. Uh, <laughs> they they that Bama did to Ohio State what Ohio State does to what seems like everybody they play in terms of they kind of stick around for the first half or so and they're within shouting distance. And then just as the game wears on, they just kind of force their will upon their opponent and just squeeze the life out of them. Yeah. That's like you said, exactly what happened. I think Ohio state lacked a a really solid game plan to limit Alabama's offense and uh, tried to go blow for blow with them. And uh, they hung around there for the, I guess, really midway through the second quarter is when I'd say started to get a little bit out of hand or started to look that way and didn't make the adjustments at halftime and got beat around pretty good in the second half. Um, So, yeah, definitely not the most exciting national championship game, but it was more of like the coronation of what I think everybody thought would happen all year long with Alabama being pretty much the clear best team in college football all season. And uh, Nick Saban solidifying himself, in my opinion, as the best coach to ever do it. So uh, good to Alabama, definitely the most deserving team this season. Yeah, I think um, I think everybody got a lot of got a lot of hopes up when it was fourteen all there in, in the second quarter, and uh, everyone was awfully excited that we might get that kind of track meet game that that everyone was hoping for. But yeah, Bama just kind of kept kept their foot on the uh, the pedal and Ohio state didn't have the offense to keep up with it. I was, I know we were chatting right before we got on here, but I was genuinely surprised that trying to go blow for blow and get into that track meet with Alabama was the game plan that Ohio state had when Notre Dame kind of gave them, you know, pretty, pretty good game plan to a week and a half prior of keep the ball away from Alabama and they can't score when they don't have the ball. Yeah. I think they, I think Ryan Day put a little too much confidence in his guys' ability to go stride for stride with them, um, where Notre Dame knew they didn't have the horses to keep up with them and just tried to control the clock and score when they had the opportunity. And I thought that's what Ohio State would try to do. Maybe they got away from that game plan when Trey Sermon went down and tried to go to more of a passing offense um, when their leading rusher took the uh, took it to the locker room, which was obviously – Disappointing. I don't think it would have changed the outcome, but yeah, it looked like I, a broken I, collarbone there on the first play. Yeah, I was surprised at just the the lack of I don't want to say lack of preparation, but just the game plan in general just wasn't there. Um, Kirk Herbstreit during the broadcast was mentioning how it looked like Ohio State was trying to let him get to the red zone and then try to squeeze him there, and I just don't think that's you know ever an employable strategy in my opinion because. That team just has too many weapons. You're not going to stop them in the red zone, I'd say, even more than 30% of the time. And they didn't. Yeah, I mean, what? they got? I think they got one one field goal stop in the red zone, and that was it the rest of the time they were in the red zone. They got touchdowns. And, I mean, getting one is almost an accomplishment in itself. Yeah. Let alone trying to get four or five. 
they were giving them too much cushion and they were able to kind of assert their will on those bubble screens and slants when Ohio State was running that 4-4 defense with the linebackers trying to shoot the gaps coming out of the, the play action that Bama was running pretty much the whole game. I think we'd be uh, reminisced if we didn't talk about how, you know, I, I probably the most uh, rewarding performance by a uh, Heisman Trophy winner to date when it came to the national title game, other than I guess maybe Vince Young. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that was, that was an absolute performance by uh, Devonte Smith last night. I think he set the national championship receiving record in the first half. And then of course he, I think he broke, he ended up, I guess, breaking his finger looked like on the first play of the second half. So we didn't really get to see him make us push there for 400 yards, but what he had, I think 13 catches for, 240 and three scores. I mean, for, for most wide receivers, that's a, that's a good season. That's a, and he had that in the first half of the national championship. Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, that guy is just ungodly good. And some of the sports, big sports analysts this morning were saying, you know, maybe the jets could take him with the second overall pick, which I, you know, I don't know necessarily agree with that, but I still think the jets should drop back. Yeah, which we can get into once the, the draft rolls around and see where everything starts to lay out more. But the, yeah. wh- whatever team signs him, unless he's a total bust, is going to be in for it because he, A, can play pretty much anywhere on the field. He can run any route. He's got phenomenal hands, and there's nobody who can match that guy stride for stride. The fun, He doesn't even look like he runs that fast. I mean, I, it just looks like he's kind of jogging out there, and then you – watch him matched up on an Ohio state linebacker and the guy's bobbing his head and doing everything can to keep up. And Smith just kind of jogs on past him. Yeah. He's got effortless speed. I, I, I still, I will say, I don't know if Devonte Smith's going to be a true number one. Give me the ball, you know, fight off the double teams just because I think his size doesn't play to that in terms of he's not the same body type as like a Julio Jones um, type of wide receiver. But I do think that wherever he goes, he's going to be an absolute nightmare to stop. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a Calvin Ridley type receiver um, mm-hmm. in terms of the stature and uh, kind of the tools that he has. I mean, he's better than Calvin Ridley. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but just kind of the, he's going to be your deep threat really stretches defense for you. Get them, get them the ball in quick screens, that kind of, that kind of offensive weapon. The biggest transition for him is going to be teams in the NFL won't be scared to try to stick him at the line because they're so much faster and bigger. So if they, that would be the only weakness to him is if he starts getting bodied off the line and isn't able to get into his route, that would be the only drawback. But, you know, Teams have tried that in college and some of the, I can't remember who the corner for LSU is, but he's probably the best corner in the SEC. Yeah. And he got and, toasted the whole game. And he got toasted all game. And uh, nobody in college this year at all stood up with him. No. So it'll, it'll be an interesting transition to see him in the NFL, um, seeing him against some of those more bigger physical corners and, you know, safeties. We'll see if he ends up in the slot or out wide, just, depending on the schematics of the team he goes to, but 
you know, I think he'll have, he'll find success in the NFL. He's too versatile. He's just, he's too, he's too talented, frankly, to not at least be a, a good second option on any other, on any team in the NFL, at least. Oh, without a doubt. And funny enough, you could even say, I mean, coming into the year, he wasn't even Alabama's best wide receiver. I guess we should get, I know we texted about this during the game last night, but let's give some, let's give some props to Jalen Waddle coming out there and literally risking his career in the NFL on this. Yeah. I mean, here's my thing. I've never liked when players opt out of bowl games and I guess it's just, you know, the more competitive side to me. I understand why, why they do it and not wanting to risk injury, but you got a guy who snapped his ankle on a kick return earlier this season and in the ambulance ride, he says, I want to be back for the national championship. He clearly wasn't hundred percent. He probably wasn't even 70%. He was limping all over the field, but he went in there and he made in the first quarter, made a crucial third down conversion, came off the field limping after goes back in. I mean, he was limping all day. The guy just wants to play and wants to win. And I think that speaks volumes about his character as a football player and as a leader of that team. So if I was, and also I think it, it does a lot for teams questioning how he's going to respond to that ankle because he, he felt comfortable enough to go play. So I think once April rolls around in the draft, teams will be confident that they're going to get a guy who's going to be near a hundred percent. Oh yeah. I mean, pro- especially by the time, you know, fall camp rolls around for them, he's going to be well more than fine to go next year. I just hats off to him because yeah, a lot nowadays it's, that's kind of the, the anti uh, mentality of pretty much every player. They're all for themselves, but I mean, props to, you don't really ever see that from a saving team. Nobody's walking away. They don't really have transfer problems. Um, it's just, they all want to be there. They all want to win. They want to be a part of each other and help each other win. I mean, Devonte Smith saw Waddle gets hurt on a kickoff return and he continues to take punts for the rest of the year. He's their best offensive weapon. He could have easily gone to save it and been like, Hey, I don't want that to happen to my ankle. But they all know why they go to Bama is because they're, they're the best of the best and they're expected. They don't want to win national champions. They're expected to be national champions. And I think it, it just all boils back to saving the discipline he has in his program. The expectations he has for all of his players when they get there is to win a national title and put your personal, you know, side away and just be a team and win. And as a result of that, his players have tremendous success in college and the NFL. Yeah. But you know, players since Saban has been at Alabama, they have yet to go longer than three years without winning a national championship. That's just absolutely stupid. How good that is. I mean, you're, you're telling every, every three classes, Hey, you're guaranteed a national championship, right? if not more than at least probably playing another one and a guarantee a couple of SEC championships, probably it's, there's no reason. There's no wonder they keep bringing in top classes. And by the way, if you think the dynasty is going anywhere, Bama just signed historically the greatest recruiting class to ever be put together. Yeah. They, until Saban leaves Alabama, they're always going to be in the national championship contention. How much longer do you think he's got? I would say five years. That's I what I was co- thinking too. I think too. coach another five years. Because uh, I think I saw somewhere that Bear Bryant retired at Saban's current age. 
Okay. But, I mean, if you look at Saban, like he's fine. He's clearly still with it, and passionate about it. Like he'll be there as long as he wants to be there. Yeah. Which, well, that that's a given. They'll never fire a man who brought them as many. No, he'll he'll titles. he'll be it'll walk away on his own. Yeah, but I think he's got another five years. I don't know what age Joe Paterno retired at. Um, comparative to Saban, I don't know how many more years that was on top of Saban. Um, I don't know those those ages off the top of my head, but yeah, I I'd probably think another five five six years, um, which is scary to think that Saban's at seven national championships, and you give him five years. There's a realistic shot he can get to 10. I'd, I'd say it's very realistic. <laughs> Which is crazy, crazy to consider. Yeah, I mean, well, look what they have coming down the barrel. You, like you said, they had the best recruiting class historically, and then Mac Jones leaves, and they have was the number one Yeah, Bryce, Bryce Young, if you, uh, if you want to be worried about Alabama again next year, just go look up Bryce Young highlights. Yeah, and it's not like Alabama's ever been short on talent. They have talent all over the board, but they'll be there. Yeah, it's like you said, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, <laughs> aside from an LSU in a, a historically amazing, pro, arguably the top football team of all time last year um, in LSU's team, aside from something like that happening at another school in the SEC, it's just hard to see anybody knocking Bama off its pedestal. No, because there's been teams who have come around and like have those flash in the pan successes, you know, like LSU, Ohio State a few years back. But it's really been Alabama has been the best program since Saban stepped foot on campus, undoubtedly. Oh, yeah. Until he leaves, they will be. So, and honestly, once he does leave, there's going to be a plethora of coaches trying to get that opportunity. So he's pretty much Would, where the will there be though. How many guys want to take over after that? I mean, that is going to be an impossible situation because there's no way you're going to hire anybody that's going to come in and have the same amount of success that Saban's having. So no matter what you do, you're going to fail. Yes, but you have to realize all those top tier coaches have that competitive instinct where they believe that they can be the best. Like if, if you put, I think Dabo has been the most talked about. I think Dabo at Alabama would be able to continue the success Saban's had, but that would be a question is if he wants to leave what he built. I, I couldn't see him leaving um, his own dynasty over there, but I, I mean, I know he played there and everything, but you got all those guys who've learned under Saban who are now head coaches elsewhere who would want that Alabama job. I mean, they will have no shortage of coaches lined up for that, in my opinion. Um, that, that'll be interesting to, to, to watch out for. I mean, I know everyone's kind of keeping that on their horizon, but I don't know, just, just curious to see as we uh, can kind of take a wrap here on the, on the college football, bowl, uh, put a bow on the season. Uh, congrats to getting through the season. Happy we got through the season. Um, and then we can now focus so, uh, solely on uh, the NFL playoffs in a nice and exciting oh, yeah. night, fairly exciting, a little bit surprising, um, super wild card weekend. I absolutely loved having football on from uh, noon to noon to 10, 1030 central time. Basically, it was just sitting in front of my TV and 
have NFL football on all day. It was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was nice. And there was a lot of good games too. I mean, there were some games that got a little bit out of hand. Um, most of the ones that were expected to be, I would say, or well, really only one game kind of got, it was not really a contest. It was the Saints and the Bears game. I don't that think was never, never really a game. It was the largest spread going into it based off Vegas lines. So I think you could say it was the most uh, expected one to be a blowout. I mean, the Bears just couldn't move the ball at all. There was no, I mean, the Bears didn't have it all season. I mean, let's be real. They were never <laughs> a serious contender in, in the playoffs. This is true. And uh, I mean, they lost their way into the playoffs. They had, they had to have care the Cardinals lose to get into the playoffs after they lost to green Bay. Yeah. So, you know, in, in my opinion, it, they were just kind of the place filler. Uh, they didn't really earn that playoff spot, but you know, maybe but, my little yeah, we can, Packer bias, but. So we'll start off with, uh, I guess we'll start with the bills game. No surprise that the bills won bills. Mafia finally gets their, uh, their victory for the first time. in was it 20 or 50? 15, 16 years or 25 years. It was like the nineties, right? Yeah. It was 25 years. Yeah. So congrats to Bill's mafia. Um, and that team continues to roll. I mean, they got up by 10 there. I want to say, uh, or 10 or 14 there. And then the, uh, chart and then the, the Colts were kind of coming down. They had a hail Mary attempt at the end of the game to try and tie it up. But, yeah, they or actually they had that last drive really, and uh, things kind of went awry for them. But uh, yeah, the Bills look good. I mean, the only thing that you could say against them is their rushing attack still is pretty weak. I mean, in, in that game, Josh Allen was their leading rusher, fifty-four yards. I think that is their rushing attack. Is the thing? I mean, it's just yeah, but uh, that's that's the only thing that holds me back to be on the Bills train is. It's just very one-dimensional, uh, but we'll see. I mean, they're they're going to have their their work cut out for them against the Ravens. Yeah, after the Ravens week. got over the Lamar Jackson, got his first playoff win, and they evicted revenge on the Titans this past weekend in a honestly a fantastic game. Titans jumped up to a quick ten nothing lead. Ravens come back, tie it up. Um, Lamar Jackson had an absolutely spectacular touchdown run. Um, mm-hmm. at the end of the right at the end of the first half, which put him up and ended up pretty well proving the difference in the game, and also a really head scratching call by uh, Mike Vrabel to not go for it on a fourth and two with about ten minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I saw one of my buddies who's a Titans fan send me a stat that basically Mike Vrabel is the only coach to have made that decision to punt the ball from between the opponents 50 and 35 down a touchdown in the fourth quarter, or actually they were down four at the time in the fourth quarter. And he decided to punt play on his defense who'd been playing great all day. But if you watch the Titans all year, it was their defense is what was killing them. So um... he rested on his defense and it it bit him, and they went down and kicked a field goal and then they couldn't score a touchdown. They never got a, uh, they tried to get the last two minute drive to go together, throw a pick. So they never even got close back down there scoring again. Yeah, that was a pretty weak call. I have to say it was pretty weak. Uh, it, was, other, it was second and two before that. They didn't even hand the ball off to Henry. 
Henry on the next two play plays. Well. No, he didn't. He got absolutely shut down. That uh, was the difference maker to me. It was they're, you know, they're pretty much the key to that team was stalled out that whole game by the Ravens defense, which hats off to them. But that that could be the the potential weakness for the Titans that they're going to have to fill out this offseason is when Derrick Henry's not going, where do they turn? Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the call is going to be if it needs to be getting um, a very of I don't I know a lot of Titans fans love Tannehill. I don't know if the call is to get another uh, to get like a more mobile quarterback. Tannehill has legs, but I'm saying like a really mobile quarterback to try and pair with Henry. I don't know if it's what exactly um, they need to do. I know they, they did lose one of their offensive linemen this year back in the middle of the year to probably their best offensive lineman, Taylor Lewan, um to an ACL. But it, it, you're right. Once uh, if Henry gets shut down, they have absolutely no, no answer. Yeah. I mean, Tannehill is, I don't think he's a problem. I don't think they're going to replace him by any stretch or even search for a replacement. It's just, it's surprising me because they have a good receiving core. Their line's decent, not great, but decent. But they, when Harry gets taken out of the game, or excuse me, Henry, they struggle. (coughs) And uh, yeah, they kind of have all season. Like when they lost that game to Green Bay, I mean, Henry still ran for 98 yards, but a lot of it was, you know, unconsequential yardage. Yeah, it was garbage type. They'll have to figure something out how to where to turn to when they're not able to move the ball at will. And uh, they need to find an identity. Of, yeah, it, it was almost like the tables got turned because Baltimore last year, when Lamar Jackson wasn't really able to do his thing against the Titans, they didn't really have anything. And then this year, when Henry wasn't able to do his thing against Baltimore, they didn't have anything. Yep, absolutely. So, but nonetheless, good game. It's turning into a, a little bit of a a rivalry with the, the yeah that tight shaking hands after the game pretty much the the dancing yeah, Lamar the went straight to the locker room after the game um dancing on the logos it's it's getting chippy and that gonna be fun to watch over the years um but it's starting to get chippy between those two teams yeah definitely um so moving on in the other side of the AFC you've got the the Chiefs are going to be playing the Brownies after a stunner in Pittsburgh the Browns yeah. got off to a roaring start against, I mean, you couldn't dream a better start for Pittsburgh. You snapped the first ball or for the Browns, you should say you snapped the, the first play over Ben's head, recovered for a touchdown next drive on third down. You throw a pick score, a touchdown three and out touchdown, another pick touchdown. You're up 28, nothing at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, that was nuts. I mean, that that was everything that could have gone wrong for Pittsburgh went wrong in like five minutes. I mean, it was just like the game felt over after those first two drives. You know, I mean, obviously it wasn't, but it, in, you could see kind of the energy sucked out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I mean. Um, I, I just think – I think this was a necessary loss for Pittsburgh, and I know – Steelers fans are probably like, what the hell are you talking about? And I think they just need to go back to their identity because Pittsburgh's a team that they haven't even had cheerleaders, but they have their quote star receiver doing dances on the field and all, all this other side theatric and theatric and nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. 
when Tomlin was hired, it was going to be, we're going to stop the run and we're going to run the ball. And they can't run the ball. They were statistically the worst rushing team in the NFL this year. So they, they need to find some sort of identity where they're able to get back to that, that steel curtain, you know, type mentality team and go out there and just shove the ball down people's throat. And then I also think this offseason they need to find a replacement for Big Ben. Um, I'll tell you what, if, just, if you watched the end of that game and watched kind of as the players were celebrating and you saw Big Ben sitting on that bench, you can't tell me that that wasn't a look of someone who's done, which absolutely sucks. I, I love Big Ben um, and, and what he's done for Pittsburgh. It, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats, but that, that was just a look of someone – it looked like he was taking everything in. He was just kind of staring out onto the field and he just looked like, man, this is it. Yeah. And he's just, he always had sort of an inconsistencies throughout his career. And I think that was largely why, even though with his success in winning Super Bowls, he was never put into the conversation of the greats of like the Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, um, Peyton Manning conversations. And he was kind of left out because he just was too inconsistent. You know, he threw for 500 yards with four touchdowns and four interceptions. He threw the ball 60, sums up. 69 times, I think. It perfectly sums up the man's career. He's able to do great things, but with every, like, phenomenal play, it seems like there's an equally as bad play on the other side. So I think Pittsburgh needs to go out there and draft their answer because I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in the draft that are going to be pro-ready. Um, and, uh, cause I don't think Mason Rudolph's the guy. I think we'll both, we can both agree on that. Josh Dobbs is the guy. Josh Dobbs certainly isn't the guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they need to go out there and draft their quarterback. Ben still has one more year on his contract. So if they want to have him come back and kind of do a mentor thing for a year, you know, that, that could be something they look at just depending on what Ben wants to do. But, um, yeah, I think they need to start taking steps to, rebuilding that team into the brand that it they've had the success with and that it has been for the last. Yeah. I mean, the, the defense was great, but it just, I mean, we, we all saw it as soon. I mean, I, the fact that the fact that this team went 11 and 0 is kind of crazy. And then what's even more crazy is they finished one five after that. Uh, I mean, it's just two, two tail ends. And it's like, as soon as, as soon as Washington beat them, Everyone had the game plan, and it they were completely exposed. I mean, I know it was a weak schedule, but at least I mean Pittsburgh was pulling out the the victories before, and so yeah, then they didn't. Yeah, they they've got a big off season ahead of them um, because they they got to find some answer for the run. They got to, in my mind, I you know I think Juju's an unrestricted free agent after this season. I don't know if you let him walk or you try to get somebody who's going to be the one, but Juju can't be the one receiver. He's not good enough. Nope. Um, and I think you start either you find the replacement for Ben or you start seriously looking for it. I think, I think drafting, like you said, is probably their best bet, but at the same time, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of quarterbacks out there to go get. Jameis Winston might be somebody to go get. There's reports that Drew Brees is going to retire and then, Obviously, Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill, so there's all likelihood that Taysom Hill would get the kick there. Jameis Winston might go to Pittsburgh. 
I actually think the opposite. I think James is going to be the starter for the Saints, and they're going to do kind of what they do now with the split reps between Drew and Taysom. And just do it with Winston and Taysom? Just do it with Winston instead. Yeah. So I think work. Winston, from what I've heard, is from the Saints are really happy with the way Winston's developed this year and the way okay. he's understood the offense sitting behind Drew, um, which honestly could be what saves his career in the long run. Because he's got the talent. He just has oh, horrible yeah. decision-making. <laughs> and and that's not – I mean, I'm not even talking about his off-the-field antics. I'm just talking about the fact he threw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions his last year as a starter for Tampa Bay. Hey, 30-30 year, that's big stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. That's not what you're looking for. But he's got the potential to air the ball out, which could oh, – I mean, with the receivers that the Saints have, could be pretty big combo. So we'll see what happens there. But I suspect they – Resign Winston and they do the uh, if Drew retires, they resign Winston and do that kind of dual thing with him and Taysom Hill. Yeah, that, I mean, that's we'll move away from the offseason stuff because that's like I said, stuff to yeah. be figured that's stuff to get figured out down the road. Um, the, the Seahawks lost in a quite a disappointing game from their part against a already beat up Rams team with a I mean, Jared Goff wasn't starting because his thumb wasn't healthy enough. They knock out the backup, and then Goff has to come in, and Goff still beats him. I was shocked. I mean, I was absolutely shocked. I thought that Seattle was going to win that game, honestly, pretty handedly. That was the biggest dud of the weekend, no doubt. They They looked horrible. They looked terrible. Seattle looked equally as bad on offense as Ohio State did in the second half. And (laughs) – Honestly, they, I've never seen – I mean, that I can think of, at least Seattle really struggled to move the ball like that. I mean, they they had nothing. Yeah, I, it's, it's weird because it's not like they were playing without major injuries. I mean, they have an amazing wide receiver core. you got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You have good running backs. You have Russell Wilson, and they just – they couldn't do anything. I know Russ had a bad game, but still, they just uh, – I don't know. Maybe they were trying to go for too many home run balls. And you're, I mean, with that uh, defensive line, the Rams have, you can't be trying to hold the ball for too long. You've got to take dump offs to avoid the sacks. And I think that you got sacked five times. So Russ in, in himself had a bad game, but just everything was bad. DK was bad. He was, he was whining and it led to them throwing a pick six because he was whining about not getting the ball pretty much. Um, and yeah, it was not good. No, it was bad. It was very uncharacteristic for that team because you know, normally Pete Carroll's guys are ready to play. And if they're going to lose, they usually lose in pretty tight games, especially when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, was that that was the first game that they've lost at home, I think, under Pete Carroll in the playoffs? Yep. Yeah. Pete Carroll hadn't yeah. lost at home. The team hadn't lost at home in 11 tries. I mean, I know it's no fans, yeah. but still, I mean, you're, you are at home. Yeah. I mean, this. If it didn't show, maybe it was Seattle's offense was very underprepared, or maybe the Rams' defense this year is just that good. Yeah, I, I mean, if I, that's the case, then Green Bay might have their work cut out for them. Yeah, Green Bay, I, Green Bay is going to have their work cut out for them. It's, if Aaron Donald doesn't go, that's really, really going to hurt um, the Rams' chances this weekend. Um, but you know, the that defensive line just owned it, and if that's the case, then yeah, Rodgers is going to have to have you know, a Rogers game to pull them through. Yeah. He the is. problem is going to be if the 
Rams can score enough points in that game. Which I, I think is going to be the question because, you know, the Rams offense this year hasn't been very good. That's, they're pretty middle of the road in every recorded statistic, you know, overall, but that defense kind of carried them too, which is, I mean, a total flip-flop to the, from the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Uh, so <laughs> it'll, it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a good game. I think that ultimately Aaron will be able to pick apart the defense because nobody this year has really stopped Aaron, except, you know, the, uh, the Bucks game early on the season, Tampa Bay had a pretty good game plan in place for them. But uh, yeah, and some fluky things happened. I think there was a pick six or a fumble scoop and score. Yeah. yeah. There was, there was a bunch that was just not, not meant to be for Green Bay, but the Rams looked good. If they can somehow summon the Jared Goff of a few years back, then that's going to be a, a very, very contested game on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I've got, I've got Green Bay winning that game. Um, I think they win it by probably about 10. I, I think that's probably a pretty accurate, um, you know, kind of scoring late in the fourth quarter, put it up two scores, put it out of reach. It's, I, I mean, I see it being competitive for most of the game, um, but I just, I, I don't think the Rams are going to have enough of an on offense to do it. I think Devontae will do what Devontae does and make a big play somewhere along there. Aaron Jones might, might break something. Um, and it's also Rogers in the playoffs and he's having an MVP here. I, I mean, he's, this team is going to be really hard to stop from getting to the Super Bowl. We'll see. They're, they got a lot of a lot of hurdles to jump through because on the other side of the bracket in the NFC, you got Drew Brees and Tom Brady facing off. The history so, cha- the history channel game is I've seen it dubbed. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. That's great. I love that. Um, but uh, speaking of the Bucks, they they handled Washington and probably what was my favorite of the games to watch because Taylor Heineke, I mean, the kid, my guy, <laughs> the kid can play. He went up against this dude against the goat on the balled out. This guy was on the couch studying for classes in October. And he gets brought in there, starts in a playoff game. And the dude looks like, I mean, he, the only comparison I can really make, he looked like Johnny Manziel against Alabama when he had his like guys in the year. The guy was all over the field. I mean, that, that scramble that he had when he dove for the end zone and hit the pylon, I mean, that might have been the play of the season. That was unbelievable. <laughs> this guy, he goes out there, has no expectations. His coach says, you know, we believe in this guy. And he goes out there and he rocks the world. He looked like he was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, he he was doing enough to give his team a legitimate chance to win the game. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And I hope he I, – I have no doubt that he will be on a roster next season, but it'll be interesting to see if he actually contends for a starting job in Washington. I, I mean, I don't know. It's He's only played in two games, but I, I don't want to sell out too early. But there's definitely some talent there that, that hasn't been tapped by NFL teams. Yeah, I, I, who knows where it came from. I mean, the kid – Kid played amazing in college. Um, I mean, he won the quarterback base with the Heisman, the Heisman uh, Award for the FCS uh, in college. But he, I mean, so he has incredible talent. He just didn't play at a big name school, and then he find, he got to show it on the biggest stage. And I I think he deserves a shot at being a starter somewhere. There's too many there's too many teams that need quarterback 
for to see that type of performance in the playoffs and not want to give that. I mean, he was making throws, dropping it in the perfect window under pressure. He was escaping pressure in the pocket, buying himself some time. I, he did it all. Like you said, he looked absolutely incredible. And t- he made a game out of something that most people thought would not be a game. And I wanted it to be a game. I was trying to pull him. No, I, I mean, I absolutely wanted it to be a game. And I'm saying most people didn't think that that was going to be a very contested game, and they had a chance to win at the end. I, I think their one bad call on from getting a legitimate chance of, you know, going down, scoring, and making a two-point conversion. I was a little – I know there's the – before they got pushed back to, like, fourth and 20, there was the dropped uh, pass by McKissick. I thought it was a fumble, and they called an incomplete pass. And mm-hmm. kind of changed things there. It could have been second and short and said it was second and long. Or maybe it was third down, but yeah, either way, it was a bad call in my opinion. But frankly, there were bad calls all weekend long in the NFL for the refs. The Bills had a yeah. bad bad call. There's a bad call in that game. Um, there was some. There was a questionable OPI in the Titans game. It, not the best weekend for refs. No, and it it's been kind of like trending. I don't know if I want to say trending, but it just seems like in the in the games when it matters, the officials seem to blow it. I don't know. That, that's just kind of my my take on it. In at least most major sports, I mean, there's always going to be the officiating conversations get brought up. But, yeah, I mean, the Bills call was absolutely horrible. There's, that was I mean, that, horrendous. That wasn't even relatively close to being a drop pass. But Yeah, that was a fumble. It was a fumble. Yeah, I mean, it was he not down. The ball. He, he turns upfield. <laughs> Both knees are off the ground. It's com- it's clear as day. Everybody in the world sees it, and then they keep the call in the field. It's yeah. I don't know what more they want to see, but either ridiculous. Wait, yeah. So I guess uh, we'll move on and try and let's get our picks in for this weekend and uh, see if we can do better. Uh, see if we can try and get all of <laughs> them right this week. Uh, after I know I got, well, I think I went three for. Three. Let's see. I got the Bills right. Seahawks wrong. Washington wrong. Titans wrong. Saints right. And Browns right. So yeah, three for three. I um I got the Browns wrong, and I got the Rams wrong. All right. So Joey, you're leading here. Joey's up. <laughs> Joey's up one after week one, folks. Let's see if I can make a comeback here on him. So what do you got in? We'll start with the uh, the first game on uh, Saturday afternoon, which yeah, Green Bay Rams. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think that the Rams are going to have enough though to stop the Packers or score enough points to keep up with them. Uh, the Packers' weakness all year has been the run game, and the Rams have a decent run game, but it's not going to be enough. Um, I think the Packers win by ten points. Stealing my pick from earlier, I gave it to you, but yeah, Packers by ten. <laughs> Um, late score pushes that one out of reach. Uh, you know, Rogers does what Rogers will do. It's his MVP year. Uh, moving on to what probably just looking at paper could be the most entertaining game, um, of the weekend in the bills Ravens game. Who do you got there? So this, this is one I've gone back and forth on probably three or four times today. And my Gut is telling me the Bills, but I'm going to go with the Ravens. 
I, I don't know why I don't have any good backing for it. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I just have this feeling that. Hey, I'll give you a stat the, if you like. Lamar Jackson please. is seven and zero covering the spread in games under forty degrees at kickoff. There's your stat to support your theory, there, Joe. <laughs> well, there it is. That's why we're digging deep. But I, I just have this feeling that that the uh, the Ravens are going to be able to pull it out just based on you know maybe some coaching, maybe just the multi dimensions. Well, it's honestly, I talked about the Bills not really having much for a run game, but the Ravens don't really have much of a pass game. So I, mean, I, I don't know. I just, I like the Ravens in this one. So I'm, I'm going to go with my gut. Contrast of I styles, it, no I'm doubt. A running team and a passing team. Both teams are two hottest teams um, in the AFC. You can't deny that. Um, both of them are on massive win streaks, but playing their best football of the year. <clears throat> I, I like you think this is going to be an extremely tight one. I'm going with I'm going with the Bills. I think that Bills Mafia's got something rolling this year special. Uh, Josh Allen is playing on another level. I think that he plays better than Lamar Jackson in the game, and I think that's what this comes down to is is which quarterback is going to play better. And I think that Josh Allen is a better quarterback, and I think he will play better than uh, Lamar Jackson in this game. So I've got I've got the Bills by six. At home, well, you're a lot more confident than I am, because I, I honestly, I would rather see the Bills win. If I just have to <laughs> be clear, I just feel like the Ravens are going to end up winning the game. Well, there's my there's my shot to get back in this, folks, because I yeah. have a feeling that we're going to be similar on these last two, but we'll see. So, uh, Browns and Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. You know, here you go. Congratulations, Browns. Baker Mayfield, you you do the unthinkable. You take your team into the playoffs and you win. And what's your reward? Go to Kansas city and play Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the smart money here is on Kansas city. <laughs> I just don't, I don't think the Browns have enough to, they're just, they're just not a good enough team in my opinion to beat the chiefs unless some sort of you know, debacle happens, but Kansas city is the best team in football. They have been all year. They've had their, their slumps where they let teams stick around, but they're going to be ready after, you know, a, little bit of time off, refocused. It's the playoffs. They get a chance to go out there and win another Super Bowl. I got the Chiefs, and I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah, I've got I've got the Chiefs by – we're going to go 13 here. Um, switch up a little bit. We'll go 13, so two scores. <laughs> um, yeah, I just – yeah, I don't think that they're going to have enough on offense to keep up with them. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, just it's too much for him to handle. Nick Chubb's going to have a, a good game, I'm guessing. Baker's going to play well, but when it comes down to it, you got to have Baker trying to go shot for shot with Mahomes. It's not a, that's not a battle that you're going to win very often. So unless Mahomes has a really bad game and he, he gets too crazy with his stuff and has two or three picks to keep the Browns in it, um, I think it probably is going to be a fairly high-scoring game. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw in the range of 38 24, 38, 27, 28, that type of range. Um, but yeah, Emily, that's, that's the way I see it coming out. There's a lot of offense and just too much, too much chiefs. Yeah. I think the only way the Browns are going to be able to contend in this game is if they control the running game and they're able to move the ball effectively with, with Chubb and hunt and uh, keep the ball in, in their hands. Yeah. They're going to have to play keep away. 
because they they don't have. I mean, Baker pr- proved a lot this past game. I mean, he didn't have to really, but he played extremely well. Has he's played phenomenally well, frankly, the second half of the season. And um, but he's going to have to really control the ball, make smart decisions, keep the ball in Mahomes' hands, and. I mean, I, I echo your point. They're going to have to force some turnovers, I think. Because if they get in a shootout with the Chiefs, they don't have horses. Yeah. it's, it's they like got a lot of horses, but they just don't have Kansas It's like City's that got, Alabama – it's like how Alabama, Ohio State. Like, it's just – they're not going to have enough. Um, but wow. I think the Cinderella story ends here for Cleveland. But props to props to them. I mean, they've already – getting to this point is an accomplishment, massive accomplishment, more than anybody expected for them. Uh, and then to finish out the nightcap on Sunday, like we called it, the uh, History Channel game, uh, <laughs> the two, the two forty-year-olds going at it in uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, Saints Bucks, third time this year. Yeah, Saints won the first two battles, handed it to the Saints again. Yeah, they just match up really well. With the Bucks, the Bucks like to move the ball vertically down the field. The Saints' defense is built to control vertical threats. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna take it to them on the uh, the defensive side, and then on offense, they they got Michael Thomas back. He scores first touchdown of the year, um, so he looks good. Drew Brees and his swan song. I think he's still got some magic coins left, and I, I think they're gonna get to the NFC Championship. Um, I suspect it's gonna be more competitive than the first two games, just because it's Tom Brady in the playoffs, but I, I think that the, um, the Saints will still win by about six points. Yeah. I've got, I've got the Saints as well. I just think that the, the game plan that the Saints have had the first two times, which really neutralizes everything the Bucks live on, which is their pass rush and the Saints are a quick passing team. Um, they, they get the ball out of Drew's hands super quickly. They've done it both times against the Bucks and it's worked to wonders against them. And then, They've been able to get pressure on Brady and really fluster him in both games, especially the, the second go around. I mean, Brady was was all sorts of confused in that game. Uh, so I think Kamara has a has a big game. He's back and healthy. There's just I think there's be- better weapons on the Saints. Um, the defenses are pretty equal, and I'm going to give this one. I'm going to give the edge to the home team here, giving it to New Orleans. I think that this. Yeah, I think this could come down to a a game winning drive at the end of the fourth quarter leading to a field goal uh, type of game. I, I think that it's going to be a battle between both quarterbacks. It'll be a duel. It'll be great. Um, in you know, kind of a old school, pretty, pretty back and forth matchup. Not a lot of flashy, not a lot of flashy plays, a lot of sustained drives, 10, 12 play down the mm-hmm. field stuff. Yeah. And in my opinion, whenever it comes down to these sort of, you know, both teams, have the talent they all both have clear first ballot hall of fame quarterbacks i i think sean payton's a better coach than bruce arians so do i I. that's gonna i think that that'll probably when it's all said and done be the decision maker and even though it's like this old school matchup the saints offense with that that Taysom hill kind of step in do some wildcat stuff i just think it's it's a little more dynamic yeah, that's their kind of Swiss Army knife. That's their, that's their Joker card. So, so a little quick recap. I've got the Packers, I've got the Bills, I've got the Chiefs, 
and the Saints. And Joe has the Packers, the Ravens, Chiefs, and Saints. So I got my one shot to catch a lead on Joe. Otherwise, I'm <laughs> down two with, with the last two weeks to go. And that's not what we want to do when we're getting less games. So, no. So, well, yeah. Uh, that, I think that's going to be a great weekend of football anyway. Oh, without a doubt. Looking forward to another another couple hours sitting in front of my TV. I, I can't get enough of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, me either. Sad it's going to be ending soon. Well, some good news, though. As football ends, baseball will be coming back. And this is a natural segue into kind of a MLB news. Um, nice, good, some good news yesterday uh for fans out there is that yesterday there was kind of a call with the commissioner and the uh, owners that happens every week and as all reports from the call it seems like the commissioner is telling teams to plan on a normal spring training so that's pitchers were uh reporting in about four weeks and you know then about a week later you'll get the um hitters or the position players to come in so we're looking at spring training and a full 162 I can't wait. I, I absolutely cannot wait for baseball to be back. And I, from what I'm seeing, it looks like fans will be back as well. Yep. Um, and which, you know, you can have your opinions on COVID, but one thing that baseball has that a lot of other sports don't is 29 of the 30 stadiums are open air or can be open air, mm-hmm. which is known to help with COVID and everything like that. And they have, 162 games so not every game sold out <laughs> yeah you don't have packed crowds the one time a week and, and not to mention the at i mean playoff games aside because that's different for baseball but the regular season games are not the same atmosphere of a college or a pro game where you're turning around and you're high-fiving everybody around you you're screaming and and all that it's a it's a, i mean for those who have been to a baseball game it's a really relaxed atmosphere for the most part mm-hmm. um and so other than maybe the end of the game, it, that part can get exciting depending upon what's happening. But yeah, so it's, you know, you're sitting down, you're enjoying it. It's a lot easier to kind of control the crowds and, and be more socially distanced and much more socially, uh, I guess, responsible, you could say, at a baseball game. Yeah. But I, I think they're handling it well. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being back at uh, Truist Park. But yeah, it was a pretty big, pretty big week um, in news. There were two, two big things. Uh, we're going to, I have a feeling we're going to spend more time on one topic than the other. So we'll actually start with what happened last night during the national championship game. Uh, Liam Hendricks getting a th- interesting contract. It's three years, $54 million. The fourth year he's guaranteed a four or there's a fourth year option, which is basically a free option. So if he plays a fourth year, he's getting four years, 54, and it gets spread out over that. Otherwise, if the team declines it, he's going to still get $54 million. But the last 15 of it um, gets put out over years on deferred payments. So it, I'm actually, it's actually a really smart contract, I think, by the team and the way that they're structuring it in kind of the economic times uh, nowadays with, with uh, what teams have been facing. But uh, nonetheless, a massive contract for a reliever. That's what shocked. I mean, that was my instant reaction when you texted me about this last night. Is it? It is a lot of money to pay a relief pitcher, who phenomenal pitcher. Nothing to take away from the guy, but the implications I think are going to be big for a lot of the other big ticket guys that are still out there in free agency that are wondering, okay, how can I get this kind of money that 
Liam Hendricks just got, which is going to be interesting what these other ball clubs do, because as we've referred to time and time again, when talking about baseball free agency, these teams took a pretty big financial hit this year with not having fans and only playing 60 games. So it's going to be interesting for a lot of those guys to see what they're trying to get. And I think it's going to extend a lot of decisions as they try to shop around a little bit more and see if they can get that money. But it, it has huge implications for bullpen guys. I thought free agent pitching was going to be the, the one that got hit the most out of all the position groups. And maybe this is a one-off because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Liam was heads and tails, the, the best reliever in, uh, to be signed this year. But I mean, it was way more than I expected. Any of the experts expected. A lot of people were looking in the three years, $30 million range, um, 30 to 40 million. And he got well North of that. So um, maybe it means great things for the rest of the relievers out on the market. Maybe it doesn't, but yeah. And there's a lot of teams that still need bullpen. I mean, every team always needs bullpen help, but there's a lot of people, the Braves included that have massive holes in their bullpen. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, it, it'll affect the Braves. I would assume so in trying to re-sign Melanson and Shane Green going into the season, because those are two of the better names left on the free agent market in terms yeah. of bullpen pieces. They're both top, so, definitely top five guys left out there now. Yeah. So they, they're going to have to shell out money for, you know, one of them or both, which then you start looking at other gaps in the Braves and we still need a left fielder. Yeah. There's still a massive hole out there in left field. And, you know, the team kind of came out and said that Riley is their third baseman. They're not looking at, they're not looking at trades for third baseman. They're looking to fill the left field hole. Um, and they're going to keep Riley a third, which is what I, I do think that's a smart call, but I mean, Azuna, it's, looks pretty clear that we're not going to have a DH this year unless a miraculous decision happens. So you either have to put up with Azuna in the field for a year, um, which I would be okay with and platooning them with somebody else out there. And you have kind of your defensive guy come in every, every single night um, in the, in late innings for defense replacement when you're winning, but yeah, they're going to have to figure something out. Another option that I saw that I kind of liked uh, that they could do is if you could re-sign Duvall for a cheaper value than what you were going to have to do in arbitration and then go out and sign a Jock Peterson, you could do a lefty-righty platoon in that sense. Um, but, yeah, it's they've got a massive hole there, and I have heard pretty much no whiffs. I mean, AA is really, really tight-lipped on whatever he does, but there there's nothing coming out of Braves camp of who they're looking at, what they're considering to fill that hole. Yeah, you know, I – I'd love for us to resell, re-sign Marcel, but I just don't know if I can take him out in left field all season because it's just – it's not there with the glove. <laughs> I mean, as, as much as an asset as he is at the plate, he's – you could say not – I wouldn't say equally as bad in the field, but he's he's definitely a step down from average out there in left field. And if you have – Austin Riley on third, who's you know a decent third baseman. I wouldn't say he's anything else outstanding. And then you have Marcel right, right behind him. You know anything on that left side of the field, with the exception of what goes to Dansby, is going to be trouble. A little, a little tight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I'd like to see them sign somebody who's kind of assured love that if you're going to use Marcel, if we sign him as your everyday left fielder who in the big game situations, we can get him out of there and put a sure glove out there in left field. I mean, they still have Ender on the roster. I, I mean, 
you could carry him as a glove. He's on contract. You're already having to pay him. They no, they can't find anybody to eat his contract in a trade. And that might be something that they have to look to. You can put him in center and move Pache over to left at the end of the game every week or every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Option. I mean, it's an option. Well, I mean, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I think he's battling some, some health issues. Um, just there were some splits like his, his top speed running was down like 25% from You're talking about Ender Ender. Yes. Okay. Like he, so I don't, I don't know what the deal with him is, but he's, he's seen a pretty sharp drop off in his productivity in the last year, which is why he didn't make the postseason roster. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, he was terrible. There's, there's no way I mean, around it. He's won multiple gold gloves. So if he can somehow get that, get that back. And I, I haven't, Personally, I mean, I'm speculating he's got health issues. I don't know for certain what the deal is, but I, I don't know. If he could get back to 100%, I think that's probably your clear option is to carry him on the bench and let Pache go over to left. But, you know, we will see. Yeah, I, we'll keep you updated as, as we know more. I mean, we're, we're looking forward to it. You know, we'll, we'll have a really in-depth um, podcast on kind of a – brave centric one when spring training gets uh gets closer we're, we got a couple of buddies that are huge braves nuts as much as us and they followed sometimes even more than us so we will bring them on to kind of dive deep into it but i will say the braves are going to have their hands full and winning the division again because this is this is getting really crazy in the nl east if the braves go out and make their free agent signings of the pitchers and the nationals are going to be they still have their roster. They still have those pit and those arms that they've had from the world series team. The Phillies have Dave Dombrowski, who, you know, is going to go all in. And now the Mets are finally make their big splash and they go out and they trade for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco in the absolute move of the off season, uh, trading both of their shortstops. So I can tell you right now, the Mets are going to be signing Lindor long-term in New York, which it's a great move for them. Great place. Um, it's just the type of energy and face that the Mets need to be the face of their franchise. I think he's going to have no problem in the big market of New York and get used to it. Braves fans and anybody else in the NL East, because Lindor is going to be there for probably the next decade. Yeah. And this was, uh, like you said, a move by the Mets and they, they pick up, Probably the best shortstop since Derek Jeter. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, at least. And he's, he's already said, he's, before even playing a game with him, he said he's open to a long-term deal with the Mets. So yeah, they, weren't doing yes. this, they weren't doing this deal. I mean, he's got one year on his contract and he's up for free agency. The Mets weren't doing this if they didn't. They weren't positive that they're going to sign him long-term. And they, like yeah, I said, so, they traded away their current shortstop and their best shortstop prospect to get him along with some other pitchers. And then they got Carlos Carrasco who, Oh, by the way, is going to come in and fill into their rotation. And then once uh Syndergaard comes back, I think it's Syndergaard is the one that's hurt. I mm-hmm. forget. Yeah. Hurt yeah. He was the one that had the, um, he was the one that had Tommy John. So you're going to throw him in, in that rotation. He's probably gonna be there. Number three. And then once they're fully healthy. Yeah. If Syndergaard comes back healthy, I'd assume he'd be the third. So, but I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's a stout rotation. I mean, you, they've had this kind of issue with getting run support because they've had good pitching for the last two seasons. I mean, 
some some of the top pitching in the NL, frankly, and they've had very little run support. I mean, DeGrom is, in my opinion, the best, most consistent pitcher in the NL. And uh, they go out there and they get Lindor. They fill out their rotation even more. Uh, they're, it's going to be a division this year. I mean, I know last year everybody coming into it said it was going to be super competitive, but it is going to be an absolute war. Good news is anytime you play an NL Central team, they they all suck this year. So there, there's your free easy wins because not even the Marlins are going to be an easy win for, for anybody in the East. I mean, they, they came on last year and had a solid team. And then like we talked about last week, the NL West is crazy with the Dodgers and the Padres. It's just – it's nice to see a lot of teams are all going at it and trying to win and win now. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's going to be awesome for for baseball to have these teams and frankly, pretty large market teams stocking up on all this talent. So, I think it's going to be really good for baseball. And what a, you know, I think fans are going to be excited after having a year of the shortened season and not being there. I think it's going to be great for the game. Oh, it's this is going to be a, I think this is going to be a welcome year like any other. I mean, it's everyone's so excited for it to be back and. And once it can get back to really full force, it'll just be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I personally, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I've never been more excited for a baseball season. Oh yeah, and, I mean, it seems like this one's gone by faster than most off seasons. Maybe it's just because of how late the postseason ran. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, this is going to be a really, really fun one. Um, and seriously, cannot cannot wait to see. We got we got to fill out the rest of our team and uh, see what our team see what teams showing up come uh, come February. Yeah, definitely, definitely gonna be fun to watch. Now on to uh, pretty much the I guess the last thing that we can talk about is uh, the golf tournament recap of the tournament of champions, also the tournament of qualifiers. This <laughs> uh, they allowed this year of bringing in the the top thirty from the tour championship as well and. And congrats to Harris English on being the first player to ever break a uh, winless streak. And he hadn't won in years on tour at the Tournament of Champions. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awesome. And that was I, a great um, tournament. It was a great tournament. And I actually, a few years back, had the opportunity to play with Harris in a pro-am. And this was kind of when he was on the downturn of his career, when he started to slump a little bit. And he was starting to come back at this time and we were sitting there playing with him and he shot like the most effortless 65 I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> and uh, frankly, just a cool guy. Cause you know, you get to, I've played in, or been a part of two pro-am some of the guys that have been with have been okay. But Harris was like a, a cool guy to be around and talk just the whole time. And it, I was just very happy to see him get back in the winner's circle. Yeah, and the guy's I- long. People don't realize it. The guy is really long. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was absolutely peering it all week um, out there in Hawaii and just torched the course. I, I mean, he pretty much was – he was right there. I think he may have gone wire to wire, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if not, he was close to being wire to wire the whole time. He was right at the top of the leaderboard yeah. the whole week. Uh, and – did what he needed to do. He birdied the last hole to get into a playoff with Joaquin Neiman and kind of a weird 
circumstance with Joaquin. I never, something I've never seen before of, so Joaquin was six shots back coming into the round. So he was a good bit, four or five holes ahead of the leaders. And so he finishes up and he's got a one shot lead. I think at the time over English, one or two shot lead. And like most people, he signs a scorecard and moves on and he gets himself a bite to eat. And he's kind of hanging out with Sergio. He actually played with Sergio. It was really comfortable pairing for him. So he's hanging out with Sergio and Sergio's wife and look like Joaquin's girlfriend. And they're kind of having a bite to eat, drinking, hanging out, um, drinking water. And, and so they're there for about 15, 20 minutes. And then, you know, English has got two holes left and he's got a birdie. One of the last two holes. And the 18th was a very gettable par five. Uh, crazy to say 647 yards is gettable, but everyone was pretty much getting there in two and birdieing all day long. And so it's pretty easy to see that there was a likely playoff and walking didn't hit any range balls. Uh, the announcers kept talking about it and I kept waiting for it to happen. He, he never got up and hit a range ball and he comes out and he loses in the playoff. I, I can't say that that was the reason why, but it's just, it was an odd choice. It's a horrible choice. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, it, you can't do that. It's just anybody who's been, I mean, I've never been in that position, but anyone who's played tournament golf, like if you're going to sit around for probably, I'd say upwards of an hour and then not go touch a club, you're going to be standing on that tee shot, trying to like get loose. Almost. I mean, I know me and you have had plenty of times in tournaments where we've had weather delays and you don't get the difference of a weather delay and you're sitting in there for an hour and they let you go and hit a ball versus sending you right back on the course that first shot is hard. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. You're a little more stiff. You're not in rhythm. You know, there's. It's just one of those factors that's in your. It's so hard to get back in that mindset because you. Yeah. You, you once you relax your body, you're out of that tournament mindset. You're out of that you know quote unquote competitive zone. You could say that you're in, and it's really hard to. You can't just snap a finger and get back into that. No. It's not. And that's why I always hated weather delays. And I think most people do, but it's just tough. And it just baffles me that he didn't even for, I mean, even if you were to go hit balls for 10 minutes or five minutes or it's hit something. 10 balls, it's something just to get back into that rhythm and that mindset. And Harris is coming off of the course and you just go straight to the playoff and think that you're going to somehow summon it. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't, I don't understand that move. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if that's just a, I mean, he's not a rookie, so you can't say rookie mistake, but he is still awfully young. I, I mean, maybe it's just too cocky. Maybe he was, he just really thought he was in a good position. I don't know. Um, I, I have no explanation for the decision personally. I mean, Sergio has been there plenty of times. He should have said, Hey kid, get, get to the range. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of <laughs> almost more surprising thing. Sergio's his mentor. I mean, they get along great and play practice rounds all the time. Like, how did he not look at him? And cause they were following it on their phone. You could see at yeah. the table, they were watching it, seeing what was happening down the stretch. It's like, at what point do you just say, you know, push him off the table and say, go hit a ball. I mean, you've seen time and time again, clubhouse leaders with like two and three shots still out there on the range or rolling putts or still trying to stay loose. Like, yeah. I, I can't believe that he was doing that with two holes left and a one shot lead. I mean, he, he would have had thir- close to 30 minutes there. It, it was at least that long. He was sitting there at the table. Yeah. So that, that blows my mind. That's a, a poor way to, to lose a tournament, but I guess the guy who wanted it more won. 
yeah, and hey, I'm like you said, I'm happy for him. Uh, good for Harris. I, I love seeing him get back into it. I mean, Waukee's. We'll see how he bounces back this week. They're still out in Hawaii. Um, this week, the Sony Open. Uh, Cameron Smith is the defending champion out there. Uh, we'll see who see who comes out on top this week. But now we're back to our first full week of uh, of the field. So it's uh, we're getting into golf season. I, I I'm happy. <laughs> Me too. And the Masters countdown begins. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Other than that, I really don't have um, too much else on my end. Um, college basketball is in its full swing. Conference conferences are getting in, you know, multiple games in the conference play now, and it's pretty clear that Baylor and Gonzaga are on its own level. And like I said, everyone else is kind of fighting for position. Um, it's it's still really early to even talk about tournament hopes, although they did say that the tournament's all going to be played in, in uh, the state of Indiana this year, trying to limit the amount of uh, traveling that's going to be done going forward. Uh, it's, I did see though, that they're going to require the athletes and coaches to have, I forget the number of negative tests consecutive. It was an absurd number. I, it was like five or six negative tests. And I just, I don't see how they're going to have the conference tournament the week prior like they normally do where the conference tournaments end on that Sunday or that Saturday. And then you do selection Sunday. I, I don't see how they're going to be able to do it this year. So they must have a, a different plan if they're going to be able to, maybe they're going to push back some games. And if everyone's going to be in, in, you know, close proximity to each other, less traveling, maybe you're going to have more kind of more of a sprint to the finish instead of doing just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you might have some weekday games too. I don't know. So I mean, I don't know what their their plan on, plan is, but as we find out more, we'll let you know something. Yeah, as I find out more, or we find out more, we'll uh, we'll keep you guys uh, closely updated with that because we love March Madness. It's probably the greatest sporting event of the of the year. Just pure three weeks of mayhem. Madness. Madness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. Bad puns. We're, we're a little, we're a little dry this week. It's all right though. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you got anything else here to wrap us up here, Joe, before we get out of here? No, I got nothing. You're so exciting. <laughs> no, there's really with the NFL. There's your, there's your big ticket items going on. So we'll, uh, everyone enjoy, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, enjoy the NFL playoffs. It's, getting we're getting down to crunch time this is probably the the even better than the wild card games because now you're getting the even more deserving teams you got the one seats planned so this it, all these games should be great so uh, i don't think i'd be surprised if any of them are truly truly big blowouts i think chiefs browns possibly but other than that i mean i, I felt the same last week so yeah who knows we'll see <laughs> um Alrighty, everyone. Well, we will uh, we'll talk to you this time again next week. You guys have a great rest of your week. Adios. 